What's up, everyone? Welcome to another week of Cross Em Up Podcasts. I'm sure that you missed us a little bit. We weren't able to record on Sunday because it was Easter, and then we also wanted to wait until the end of the NCAA tournament. As you know, March Madness has finally wrapped up. I'm pretty sad. We might want to call it March Sadness because uh, Michigan did get out, unfortunately, in the Elite Eight, but it was a hard fought tournament great season for Michigan we have a lot to unwrap about the final four games the championship games so I'm pretty excited for this episode Brian how are you doing today uh not bad we're in a little bit of a of a quarantine but I'm enjoying the hotel life it's been nice to have some time to myself and it's given me more time to go on the sports reddit page so I think I've got some good material for today's episode and obviously it gave me some lots of time to watch the games so I'm excited to talk about that this has been it's been a fun tournament, especially like the final four nationals, national championship games brought some good basketball. So I think we've got some good material for today. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, you know, before getting into the final four, obviously Michigan, our favorite team, at least my favorite team. Sometimes I question your, your loyalty, Brian, but, uh, we have to talk about the UCLA game. Honestly, it was, it was a little hard to watch, um, UCLA put a lot of pressure on us and they definitely came out to the, uh, you know, with a statement. And I think we were a little bit frazzled by their defense. Michigan's a great team, but honestly, sometimes just not your day. And and that was, that was definitely one of these times for sure. What were some of your observations? Yeah. I mean, my first observation was that like UCLA played with like so much heart in that game and like, and defense and they kind of did that the whole tournament. Like they didn't play, they played up to every opponent that they faced and they played not only up, they played better. And it just, my thought was that it's a shame that UCLA had to play Michigan because they'd be like the team that you'd want to root for in the tournament, like the Cinderella story. Now I know they're like a power five school, so it's not as much of a fun Cinderella story, but they still an 11 seed that starts in the first four and makes it to the final four. That's like an incredible story any year. But I mean, like livers was missed for Michigan. Michigan needed a game changer. Like at the end, when you need a game changer to take the shot, they didn't have that. No offense to Mike Smith, but that's just not the guy you want shooting in that situation or Franz Wagner, who also had a chance at the end to go for the win. But Hunter Dickinson was kind of knocked around a little bit. He didn't seem like on his game and UCLA, they just played tough. It was a, it was kind of a slugfest of the game, low scoring and UCLA, UCLA just ended up, pulling it off and I think like it that's that was just like classic like elimination game basketball and UCLA rose to the challenge and Michigan was just a little bit off I mean Mike Smith had a he had a perfect look pretty much in the game and just couldn't connect in the shots so it it is what it is Michigan fought hard UCLA fought hard and UCLA came up on top yeah yeah and I would have to agree with that I mean we we're taking shots and just like they weren't falling. And then I think instead of like adjusting our game and trying to get more inside, we just kept trying to shoot some threes and, you know, again, missing, we didn't really draw that many fouls. I don't think we made it to the free throw line that much. My roommate, Annie actually pointed that out yesterday. So, um, you know, that's unfortunate, but we don't want to discount the fact that they had an amazing season, really promising future, knowing that we have the number one recruiting class coming in next year. And, Uh, You know, we know that Juwan is uh, he's starting to build a dynasty. So I'm really excited for um, the future of both uh, Michigan men and women's basketball teams. So no complaints there. And then moving on to the final four games, um, 
yeah, UCLA versus Gonzaga. What a game. I know. Yeah, that was that game was incredible. And I, I was rooting for UCLA, to be honest. So I was it was unfortunate that they lost. But what like an entertaining basketball game, especially because Baylor Houston wasn't that entertaining. And then after the national championship wasn't that entertaining. So this is like the game of the tournament, I guess, like winning on a buzzer beater and an overtime game. Like, I think you couldn't have really asked for a better basketball game. And I was just waiting for UCLA to like get tired and eventually just Gonzaga like pull away, but they just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And it was pretty much even until that last, that last shot. Yeah, I was uh, at that point, I was definitely pulling for UCLA um, just because if they beat us, you know, might as well just pull, pull for the underdog and, and have them try to win. But, um, you know, that's just basketball. Sometimes it, it, it is good to see a, such a close game and a hard fought battle and, and, you know, really make teams earn that trip to the national championship game. So, you know, we also had some very close games on um, the women's side. First of all, UConn versus Arizona. That was such a game. Um, Arizona upset the Huskies and, and really made a statement. They just had super tough defense, were able to kind of lock them up and, and, and stop the Huskies offense. Um, and, uh, you know, I think star, star of the tournament, at least on the women's side, um, you know, Ari McDonald just really lit it up. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, it's so – UConn, they haven't won since 2016. I know like most, like most schools that would be like, wow, that's relatively recent, but since they've won so much, it's like a shocker to not see them win over the last few years, but still like anytime you beat UConn and how well coached they are, like that's such an accomplishment. So that's, that was huge for Arizona. And, and unfortunately they faced a, a real tough team in Stanford, but yeah, that was, that was a really big win for them. And yeah, that like UConn, they have their offense is really powerful too this year. So that kind of like reinforces like the theme that you got to have like once it comes down to crunch time, you really have to have tough defense in March and then April if you make it to the final four. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's defense that, you know, wins games. We've known this for a while, but I feel like this tournament specifically really showed that with some of these underdog teams being able to stop these offensive powerhouses. Um, you know, I'd also like to shout out the Arizona coach, Adia Barnes. I am obsessed with her. I think she's such a boss lady. Um, I'm a huge UConn fan. I'll say that right away. Like I really wanted them to win. I think that their history as a program, Gino as a coach, just like the dynasty page Becker is like, I love it. But, you know, I was also super um, impressed by Arizona's efforts and the fact that a lot of people doubted them. I know there was a lot of talk. They weren't even featured in like the hype video for the women's tournament. So after the game, Adia was in like a huddle with her team. Didn't think that any cameras were on and, um, you know, flipped the bird and was just like, uh, what did she say? You know, basically, in, in, in a certain word, you know, forget the haters. Like I will go to war with this team, you know, don't let anyone tell you, you can't do it kind of thing. And, and it was like a very much emotionally charged, just excited moment with her team. Um, but didn't realize that the cameras were on her. Um, and so obviously she was asked about that later on. And I thought her response was really, was really good. She said, you know, obviously I understand that that looks a little bit controversial, but 
I didn't realize that the cameras were on me. This was a private moment with my team. And I'm the kind of person that, you know, I'm authentic to myself. That's what I felt in the moment. And I'm not going to apologize for it because I was, that's exactly, you know, came from the heart. and, And that's what I felt like I needed to say right then and there. And Um, I think that, you know, I don't really think she's gotten that much, um, criticism for it because that's like, what more can you ask for? I mean, their, their team just upset the huge favorites for the tournament. So I thought that was a really good response. And, um, I'm excited to see what she's, she's going to do in the future. She, when she started with Arizona kind of had a rough start, they only won six games and then, um, they ended up winning the women's NIT tournament the following year. And then now a final four. So, um, not final four, a championship appearance. So that's uh, pretty amazing for her. And she had a baby this year. That's insane. Yeah. I didn't, I actually didn't know about that. I mean, since when did she become like Dave Portnoy, like, like that? Um, but yeah, I don't blame her at all for that. Like that's incredible. Like show of emotion. Like when you're, when you win a game like that, a big game, you're like so hyped and, especially if you don't think the cameras are rolling, like you're going to like be really passionate about what happens. So props to her. Like, I think you deserve like those celebratory moments when you win something that big. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then obviously their game against Stanford, another hard press battle, um, you know, Stanford just edged them out one by a point. Um, and it sounds like Stanford hasn't had an easy road to the tournament either. No, they've been. So I think based off of like yeah for whatever reason they've been probably california COVID laws but they've been forced to live on the road or they had been forced to live on the road for like nine weeks during the season they were living in hotels they were they had to practice on like some gyms that were like not like really nice like college like caliber gyms like wooden backboards like old school and so that's like tough to like live on the road for that long not that the hotel life is bad as i'm learning but it's (laughs) I guess for nine weeks, it gets a little bit intense, especially when you don't have your like normal practice facilities. Like I know, like for those of you who don't know, like most college athletes and like college teams, you have a lot more amenities than just like the practice facility. Like you have, you have fueling, you have like the training room, you have like to get treatment. You, there's a lot more like weight rooms. And then when you're living on the road like that, I assume it was a lot harder to get like, a, have like a whole like training room set up for treatment or to have all like the fueling and the recovery like there for them, they wouldn't their practice facilities. So that had to be hard because every other big like school in the country that they're facing is they're at home every day and they have all those amenities and facilities. So to go without that, it was kind of like their blue collar for nine weeks, like practicing in retro gyms. So that was a lot to overcome. And similar to Baylor too, like they had like the little COVID pause in the middle of their season and they like had to overcome that Michigan as well. And that, that was just the nature of the season, but nine weeks to live on the road was longer than anyone else for sure. Yeah, that's not easy. And just in a year that's already, there's so many inconsistencies and so much uncertainty. And when games get canceled, blah, 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 it's nice to have some sort of stability. And if they didn't really have much of that, you know, props for them to them for keeping focused and, um, you know, being able to, to overcome that. So, and maybe that's why, maybe that's kind of helped prepare them for the grit that you need in March. So, um, good for them. Then obviously the final yesterday, Baylor and Gonzaga, I was a little disappointed with that game though. It wasn't as much of a game as I thought it would be. Yeah. I think that it was tough for, for Gonzaga to like come back after such an emotional 
win against UCLA and like winning on the buzzer beater. Sometimes it's just like you face all those emotions. And then after that game, it's they played a hard fought game for the 40 minutes and then plus overtime. And it was like a, a fight the whole time. So sometimes it's like that just drains you. And then you have to come back two days later and raise your game again. And they just, they came out flat. Like the first few minutes, you couldn't have asked for a worse like start to the game. And they had um, Timmy got like two fouls immediately. He was in foul trouble nearly the whole game. They were just like thrown off. They didn't have a rhythm. And then to, just to make matters worse, like Baylor was hitting was like lethal from three. And once you start hitting threes and separating so like early on in a game, it's just like, it's hard to come back down like double digits against a team like Baylor. And they like evened it out for a little bit where they made the deficit around 10 and it stayed there, but ultimately they just couldn't shorten that. So, and Baylor, they have a bunch of NBA like caliber players. They've got shooters. That's why like I picked them to win the whole thing. So luckily, like one of my takes actually turned out right. Not that that was much of a hot take having Baylor win the whole thing, but it, it's they were they were a tough team. And what was also interesting is people have been waiting so long to see that matchup because before the tournament was canceled last year, like Baylor Gonzaga was like they were like the two favorites to play each other. And really, even that preseason two seasons ago it was like Baylor Gonzaga those are the two teams then finally they got to play each other and Baylor just was dominant yeah it was um it was interesting because almost I almost think that they won the game in the first couple minutes because sometimes you know we've talked about this before basketball is a game of streaks and sometimes if your team can't get in a rhythm early it's just hard that once you finally do get in a rhythm you're already behind and I think you know like you said, they're probably tired from the other night and they just, they just didn't look as, um, you know, energized or aggressive as Baylor. And I think, um, they had a lot of pressure on them to win. Um, given that they came into, they haven't lost a game this season until yesterday, which is, you know, crazy. And they would have made history if they had won, but, um, you know, a combination of that and, it just wasn't, it wasn't their night. And it's unfortunate that they made it through all season and their only loss this season has to be the championship game, but that's the reality of sports. Yeah. That's just painful to like win every game and then lose at the end. But I guess ultimately the record, like it's nice to be undefeated, but I'm sure they'd be just as upset too. If like they lost a game or two in the regular season and then made it all the way to the championship and then lost and losing national champion losing national championship game is like losing national championship game. It's, it's bad no matter what, but right. Who knows who, I mean, some were saying that Baylor could have gone undefeated too, if they didn't have like the COVID pause there, because when they came back from the pause, they were a little bit out of rhythm. It took some, took some games to like get back on track. So I guess they theoretically could have gone undefeated too. They're we're looking at two like extremely talented college basketball teams here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Speaking of talent in um, the NCAA, this transfer portal business, uh, you made a really good point about it, Brian. It's kind of becoming like the college sports free agency. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, especially with the port, with the advent of like the portal a few years ago, it really is becoming free agency. And I don't blame people for transferring at all because like you look at a guy like Jonathan Juzang, who went off for UCLA and had basically put them on carried them on the offensive side of the board on defense everyone helped out but on offense he was like the driving force against Michigan and Gonzaga but 
now he might be, he started out at Kentucky and didn't get the, like the desired playing time there. He's playing behind a few guys and then he transfers to UCLA, becomes a star. And then maybe he might be a lottery pick in the draft now. So sometimes I saw this like quote on, on a Reddit thread and it was sometimes finding the right fit takes a few new tires. So I don't blame like having like, and cause there's so much talent in the NCAA, like you can have backups in some of these like teams like Kentucky where they'd like, they could start like pretty much anywhere. So you go to a school and it doesn't work out for you. I don't blame you for transferring. Now I know that there's like, there's going to be like some fans who like, who are a little, who, who are a little bit older and they're like, Oh, you gotta be loyal. You gotta wait it out and stick it out and suffer the adversity. But these people don't get it. Like these are fans who probably sit in the couch and drink their Miller light and watch the players. And then they get really mad if someone like transfers their team, but you have to look at it as an athlete and, you're trying to like, you got to boost your stock if you're an athlete and you only have so long to do that. So if you're going to stick around in a system and a coach that doesn't really fit your playing style, it's just like you're hurting your draft stock, like money's on the line here. So you transfer. And there's also like other factors too. Like there is academic reasons why some people transfer, like you have grad transfers. And like, so I saw from Rutgers, like Miles Johnson's transferring. He's an engineer. He cares a lot about engineering. So he wants to go to a top engineering school for his like grad transfer. So that's not like specifically athletic reasons. And like, there's more to it than that, but I think not everyone could be like a Tom Brady situation where you battle the adversity and you wait it out rather than transfer. I think these days with the portal, it's so it's a lot easier to transfer. I think you go for it you transfer and you go where you get the most opportunities for you. And it's also interesting how this like impacts recruiting like do you get more like scouts or coaches on your staff to evaluate all these transfers because there are a lot of division one schools in the NCA and there's a lot of talented players and talented prospects coming out so how do you like evaluate these guys and find the transfers that fit your program and maybe you do need more recruiting more more like recruiting coordinator type scouts and coaches for that Right. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I would be interested to see. So, uh, you know, Mike Smith came from Columbia, but in the Ivy League, you can't use your last year of eligibility if you've already had four years there. So that makes sense. Like a lot of Ivy, um, you know, league stars will look to transfer to D1 programs for their you know final year of grad school if they have eligibility. Um, but, you know, Shondi Brown is another great, you know, grad transfer Um or is he a grad student or he might not be, he came from Wake Forest. Well, a lot of the, so with football, a lot of the deal is like a lot of football players actually are able to graduate early because they're required to be on campus for so long that they take like spring and summer classes. So a lot of them could like graduate in three years and then they become like grad transfers for the next year or two, depending on their eligibility. I don't know if it's like that for basketball exactly, like what, how long they're required to be on campus for, but it's like football, like he might've spent three years at Wake Forest and then been able to transfer as a grad transfer. I don't know exactly though in his case, but. Yeah, that's a good point, but clearly they were huge additions to our team. So I do think it's worth looking into if someone, especially, I wonder if some of these grad um, or not grad, but just transfers in general that are entering the portal are probably, you know, very strategic about, um, you know, I don't know what, how it works in terms of if they reach out to specific programs first or if they have to um, wait until coaches show interest. I, I don't actually know, but um, 
you know, if, if the first time around didn't work out, they definitely want to make sure that the second time around does. So I would also imagine that makes it almost a little bit easier from the recruiting side. If certain players are reaching out to those schools because they can envision themselves being good fit and showing interest, um, you know, rather than all the coaches necessarily coming to them. And I'm sure it goes both ways, but I wonder if that's almost, um, you know, easier because they know someone that is contacting them, isn't unhappy where they are and is, you know, looking to change and and go to their program. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point in that I do think everyone has a right to transfer if they're not happy with their program and school, like you only have, a limited amount of time in college athletics. And especially for a lot of these players that are looking to, you know, make a career out of their sport and, and go pro, they need to be able to play in order to, to do that and to prove themselves. And, you know, that's like a lot different than, you know, some of these sports like running, I feel like sometimes it can be a little bit easier to uh, you, you're not fighting for playing time. Obviously there is like certain big 10 team spots and limits there, but if you're a good runner, you'll probably make it work. And and again, some people like the coaching or team or whatever, isn't a good fit and they do transfer. It's not like that doesn't happen, but it's a different situation there than like, if you're a great player at Kentucky and you just happen not to be in the top five, or if there's someone in your position that's ahead of you, you're not going to see, you know, any playing time. And so I, I do think everyone has a right to, to do that and kind of give themselves the best opportunity to have the future that they want. Yeah, the, you mentioned a good point because like running, we are seeing a lot of transfers like too with the portal, but it's not always like it's not only playing time too. It's like sometimes like these these like basketball players are like, even though they seem like like on another level when they're out in the court, but they're like kind of like humans just like all of us. And like sometimes they might not just like not like the school or like don't like the like don't like the culture there or just like not working for them that way. So they decide to transfer. Like it's also there's like other things that go into it, but I guess that's like more so like the other sports, like running where like you wouldn't like the coaching that kind of like you're not in on a team or a system that works for you, but yeah, it's, there's transferring is become is becoming like a lot more prevalent now. So that's, it's going to be really interesting to watch. And now it's like labeled like free agency because there's so much like roster turnover and transfers on all these like big schools now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, it is an interesting point because it, it's happening a lot more now than it has in the past. Um, so yeah, it'll be kind of interesting to see. I mean, also just one final point on this. I don't think anyone, like no one commits to a school wanting to transfer. Right. It, and it's hard to transfer. Sometimes you have to sit out a season, you know, and, and you are being uprooted and have to get used to a new program. So if people are transferring. It's because they actually feel like they need to, it's not just like willy nilly, like, Oh, let me transfer. You know, it's a huge decision and it's oftentimes not the easy one. Um, so just showing a little bit of sympathy for people that do end up transferring, um, you know, it's probably for a good reason. So, uh, changing gears a little bit, we've had, uh, since we've last had our podcast, some drama in the NBA specifically between, um, Kevin Durant and Michael Rappaport, I don't even know who this guy is, to be honest. I, I, I didn't know Ian about Rappaport. him until I heard about this. I thought he was Ian Rappaport because there's like the guy Ian Rappaport who's like the breaking news guy on who like tweets like breaking like this person is like gone to another team for like the NFL. So I was like, what 
what's like going on. But then I found out that there was a Michael Rappaport because he got into, there was drama with Dave Portnoy and he used to like work for Barstool. He's like a comedian, like actor. And then things ended badly at Barstool. And then there, he tried to like sue Barstool for like making a clown shirt about him. And Dave Portnoy was like tweeting about it. And some lots of funny tweets from Dave Portnoy about the whole situation, like blasting him as Dave Portnoy typically does to his enemies. But then he like got into a controversy with Kevin Durant this week over some really like vulgar DMs. <laughs> and they were just going at it because from an interview back in like December where Michael Rappaport like thought that Kevin Durant was like a coward. And then they just like went back and forth and just were insulting each other basically i think like kevin durant was like meet me here and let's fight which is just like really like stupid like yeah. i don't in your kevin durant like don't you have like better things to do and deal with this like this like walmart version of ian rapaport like here like i don't know like i don't know why kevin durant it's like he's had like he's had a lot of drama with social media in the past so i guess this is kind of expected for him he's He's very sensitive when people criticize him and, critic and criticize him for like whether it was going to the Warriors to try and win a championship or now going to the Nets. Like people love to credit or he he loves to like fire back at his critics for that. He even like made like a burner account a few years ago and then he got in trouble for that because he posted something that was supposed to go in the burner account on his actual Twitter account. And then that like then he was exposed that way, which but I so I've uh, had a, I've flirted with a, a burner account and my, my uh, time in isolation has led me to decide to like get rid of that because <laughs> I think it just brings out the worst in me. And it's just like, it's burner accounts. Like they're, it's almost like they're so toxic because it's like, it, it is like a very cowardly move. Like if I'm not going to say something like attached to my name and like my like main Twitter account, like I probably shouldn't be like saying it like on like a burner account. And it's also like, what's the point of like starting arguments with like all these like strangers, like in the sports world and like what, whatever, like making up like fake arguments to get people mad. It's like, there's like no like point to that. All of a sudden I was like, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, wait, I'm like one of those like trolls now. Like I should probably stop this because I have like better things to do with my life. I would say Kevin, not that Kevin Durant should be taking advice from me, but my advice to Kevin Durant would be like, get rid of the burner account. It's like, or like the social media, it's like you're Kevin Durant. Like, why are you like, worrying about what like all these random like other like because a lot of twitter i feel like are like trolls and burner accounts anyway so like why are you worrying about them criticizing you or why are you worrying about michael rapaport criticizing you when like I, this michael rapaport guy it seems like he just like loves like stir up drama anyway it's like that's what he does it's like he's probably like a comedian comedians are like professional like trolls they're like act, like trolls who've like made it big like the original like trolls before twitter so like that's <laughs> job is to like stir things up like why are you like worrying about it and then I also have a problem though with like I think it was Michael Rappaport who like shared the screenshots and it's like why are you gonna like share the, the like a conversation you had in a DM with everyone it's like it's just like this whole like circumstance is like nothing like good has come out of it it's like there's no gain for either of them it's childish it's childish yeah. it's like also do you not have anything better to do I mean Clearly this guy just wants attention and that's exactly what KD gave him in, re in responding. Also, I have a problem whenever people like take screenshots of a previous conversation and then like use it as like ammo in a fight, like, like following that. I just think that that's just low. I don't know. 
I have experience from that. Not me, not me doing it personally, but someone else bringing something up that I said and using my words against me. And it's just like, well, <laughs> I'm not perfect, but I just think that it's, um, it's just not a good way to handle things. Like let's please live in the present. Um, and I think, uh, you know, social media, especially when everything is documented and you can pull things up from a while ago, a, be careful what you say, because it can come back to bite you and B it's just like these records are out there. And, and so it's just like, don't say anything stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny that like, you think like Kevin Durant and all these professional athletes, like you think of them as like, as like idols and like they're like superhumans, but like in reality, like they're like the same as all of us. Like they have like burner accounts and they like, they hate the criticism. And so like, it's, it's kind of like humanizing in a way that like Kevin Durant, even like one of the best players in the NBA, like still like has still like hates criticism and just like doesn't handle it well. So yeah, it's an interesting situation and he got fined for it, which I don't know, like, I guess like the fine is there's like merit to that, but it's like kind of like outside the NBA and it's just, I don't know how, like the, I mean, the fine was like pocket change for someone like Kevin Durant, but I don't like know if he should have as bad as what he said was like, it was very bad, but I don't know if he should have been like fine for it necessarily, but the NBA is his employer, so they could do what they want. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that came from the NBA or, or what I, I actually didn't know that. So yeah, I don't know. Lesson learned. Just, uh, just don't say things on social media that you're going to regret later. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to, to this kind of drama, I know there are some players that have gotten criticism for suddenly joining the nets being, um, you know, the Pistons old, uh, Blake Griffin, as well as, um, LaMarcus Aldridge both joined the Nets and some people are saying, well, you know, they're kind of at the end of their careers, like good for them. They basically like, it's no secret that the Nets are trying to win it, win a championship. Um, I was shocked to, to hear on ESPN when they were talking that these players were kind of um, given some criticism for they both took, uh, you know, cuts in their contracts. They're making less money. And, and they say that they're kind of just trying to buy their way to a ring and that they could have tried to join another franchise where they would have had more of an impact as a player and try to, you know, win a championship, you know, by being an impact player at one of those uh, franchises, but instead kind of hopped on the bag bandwagon for the nets. But it's like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that um, viewpoint of things. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, now, like, ever since LeBron has been dominant, we've been seeing, like, the creation of super teams to stop him. Like, ever since, like, I saw, like, a Twitter trend where it was, like, four pictures and, like, four super teams needed to stop LeBron. Like, that, like, the Celtics back – well, the Celtics team that was formed was also to stop, like, the Lakers. But when they had Ray Allen, they had Rondo, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and then, like, the Warriors, and they had, like, their, like, super team that, like, Kevin Durant joined and, like, the Clippers we've seen form a team. So like teams have like been forming like super teams like ever in like the LeBron era like constantly, but this Nets team is like more than anything that we've ever seen with the super team because like it seems like it just keeps growing and growing and growing as the season goes on. Like you think like they'd be fine with Kevin Durant, like James Harden, Kyrie, like, but they just keep adding guys. So and not that like 
Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin are like past their prime, but yeah, it's crazy. I think that more in the case of for Lamarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, it more so helps them to join than helps like the Nets as a whole because I think that they're kind of just like jumping on just to try and get a ring that way. But right, that and that's what people are saying, but. I think there are two ways to look at it and either way the players will get criticism. I mean, Blake, I guess, made some comment like, well, you guys have been saying I've been playing bad for years and kind of like, well, I'm on my way out. I'm, you know, entitled to play more of a supporting role in a team. I want to be able to end my career having um, gotten a ring, you know, and I think that's valid if that's kind of the role that you're willing to play and kind of step down. But then other people are like, oh, well, actually you aren't that bad of a player and you can make an impact on another team, but instead you're just taking the easy way out by going to the nets. And it's like, well, it sounds like either way, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So I don't know if he, if he wants to get a ring, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good move for them too. Like go where you're going to win. And then if they don't get the ring though, that backfires badly. Right. Then- right. But, you know, and maybe like they know that they're not going to be playing as much, but maybe they're getting tired. Maybe they don't really want to play, excuse me, to play as much, you know, and and that is also valid. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you don't want to do like take the load all by yourself. Like better to come in and be like a clutch, like role player kind of. And like we saw that with like Ray Allen when he joined the Heat too with LeBron, like he was like a really like clutch role player. And then he made like that clutch shot to like help win the heat finals so right you see it all you've seen this all over sports yeah speaking of the heat it sounds like they're making some moves in terms of uh getting more players on their squad yeah they have added uh victor old depot in a trade and he joins like a really good heat team with like with like jimmy butler uh bam adebayo uh uh, Gordon Dragic, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, like that's like the core of their like finals team last year. And then you add like Victor Oladipo. So even though the Heat have been like very mediocre this year, like maybe that's like enough to get them, like propel them on another run. Now they're going to have the Nets in the East. So that's going to be a challenge, but if they could beat the Nets, then they'll probably win it all. So. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how they do. Um, I am, I am kind of a, a fan of them just because of Duncan Robinson formal former Wolverine and it's it's good to see he's almost had more of a role in the NBA than he did at Michigan he was obviously one of our star players but I don't think anyone expected him to do as well as he's done in the NBA so good for him love to see it yeah I love his I love three-point shooters so he's obviously one of my favorite players and I hope Tyler Hero gets the ring too yeah yeah for sure so well guys uh our uh whole basketball whirlwind is kind of wrapping up we'll have some opportunities to start talking about some other sports too in the next episodes um and I know that we've been we've been holding off on your cycling story Brian so I'm looking forward to that I know you have a a big uh a big story to tell on your adventure biking 200 plus miles so um, more of that to come and yeah oh I do have a shout out this week I want to shout out one of our um, major fans. He's been a loyal listener uh, since we started all the way from Florida. So Michael, thank you for always listening to us. Um, 
if you ever want to be on the podcast, just message me. We'd love to have you on and uh, appreciate you. So anything oh, from you, Brian? Before we go with the bracket winners. Oh, oh. There was a entry too. Some guy named Stream Getaway. I don't know like, if that's like a song on, on a SoundCloud or what, but he was like in the lead for a while, but it didn't look, it doesn't look like he won. I don't, do you know, I don't know exactly who ended up winning for both, but. Yeah. So for the men's tournament, um, Josh Zeller won actually. So he had uh, a lot of like potential points and he wasn't really on the leaderboard. And then, you know, when Baylor won made that jump. So um, good for Josh Cole got second to him. So I think he's a little salty about that. But, and then on the women's side, Jenna won. So Jenna Metwally, um won the women's team bracket. Um, and it looks like Claire McNamara was second. So good for them. Oh, shout out to Ginobili too, because even though he didn't pick the winner, he like still ended up beating me, which I guess could say more about, even though I picked the winner, probably says more about how bad my bracket was, but he still got sixth place without picking the winner. So I guess that's kind of impressive. Yeah, that's true. He was the highest finisher that didn't pick Baylor to win for the men's side. So good point. And Brian, you beat me on both. Okay. I didn't want to bring okay. it up. But I, I was, yeah, I was going to, but I was debating whether or not to say that, but <laughs> I would, my kids were kind of so bad though, that I don't think I really deserve anything as a reward for either of those. So, well, neither do I clearly. I mean, if your, yours are, weren't that great and you still beat me, so I will be true to my word. I'm saying it on record. I will buy you a six pack and the beer of your choice. So, um, uh, well, I, have, I might change it a little bit instead of, instead of beer, like maybe get like, get like something like coffee related. I don't know. I'm going to try to avoid that. Okay. Yeah. Healthier yeah. option. I'm down for yep. that. It's, it's right. been a, a thought filled uh, few days alone. So <laughs> quarantine will do that for you. So, yeah. well, I hope you all are doing your own self-reflecting this week and uh, you know, it's springtime, a time of new beginnings. Hopefully people are starting to get their vaccine. We'll have a more open summer. So um, even though March is over, sad about that, but, but lots to look forward to. So we hope you all have a great week. Thanks for listening and see you next week.